Hi, David here. Every day, I see conversations happening about how a PhD in humanities or in the social sciences is a dead end and a waste of time. Maybe you are having this reflection now. The truth is that I've had many conversations proving exactly the opposite. This week's interview with Katina Rogers was one of them. I found this to be true in, in my research, and it was a finding that I found very surprising, which was that um, many people who were working outside of faculty positions didn't think of their research skills as something that particularly set them apart. Um, but every single employer that I interviewed said that if they hired a PhD, it was largely because of those research skills. And so I think for me, this was a kind of a communication breakdown where because in graduate school, the baseline of research skill is so high that it's easy to forget that that's something that really sets you apart. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the world less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to today's episode of Papa PhD. Today with me, I have Katina Rogers. Katina is co-director of the Futures Initiative at the Graduate Center, CUNY, where she guides and mentors graduate fellows, develops programming, and exercises administrative oversight over all aspects of the program. She is also director of programs and administration for Haystack, the online scholarly network, and co-director of the CUNY Humanities Alliance, a partnership between the Graduate Center and four CUNY community colleges supported by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Katina researches and writes about higher education reform, including scholarly communication practices, professionalization and career development, public scholarship, and advocacy for fair labor policies. She is the author of Putting the Humanities PhD to Work, Thriving in and Beyond the Classroom, and she holds a PhD in Comparative Literature from the University of Colorado at Boulder. Welcome to Papa PhD, Katina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm super happy you accepted my invitation to come on Papa PhD. Um, it's going to be a slightly different episode, but uh, as I have uh, uh, promised the listeners, this season is going to be a season where we the episodes are going to have themes. And uh, I'm not going to disclose right away or spoil right away what the theme is going to be. First, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about yourself uh, and um, and quickly just talk about your your, your you know your academic journey and how uh, you came from you know your studies to what you do today, which is a very very to me very interesting and very uh, i almost want to say noble position of helping graduates out there you know figure out their lives and and their professional lives sure i'd love to um so as you mentioned i have a phd in comparative literature and uh, while i was working on my dissertation i ended up um i was living with my partner and we decided to move to new york for his his job and i mentioned this even though it's you know this this personal detail really changed the trajectory of my professional um, pathway. And I mention it because I think sometimes those personal details get a little bit buried and they actually are really important in the decisions that people are making. And so I, I think it's it's worth talking about them openly. Um, so I figured that there would be as many job opportunities in New York as there were in Colorado, where I was living at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know exactly what those would look like, but I had the benefit of still having a little bit of time remaining on my PhD um, when I, uh, I knew that I would be writing um, to sort of figure out what I was going to be doing next. Mm -hmm. So um, I worked for about another year or year and a half on my dissertation using mostly the public libraries in New York and corresponding with my advisor over email. Um, and at the same time, since I wasn't located at the university anymore, I needed to find something to do to have an income um, to replace the, the teaching income that I'd had as, a, as part of my fellowship. Um, and I ended up registering with a temp agency whose clients were mostly nonprofits and foundations in New York City. And okay. this was kind of a stroke of luck. I had been, um, someone had recommended this particular agency to me, but other than that, I hadn't had any particular experience with um, with foundations in particular before this. Um, but it was really an amazing opportunity. I mean, this gave me a chance to be in the door of different organizations who were on the other side of grant making from what I had ever seen as a student. Um, and for me to really get a sense of the infrastructure that supports and enables research and teaching without necessarily being a part of the university. Mm -hmm. um, through the temp agency, I ended up working for a while at the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation and eventually uh, was hired full-time there um, in kind of an operations type position. Okay. And this was, for me, this was really an interesting moment. This was a chance for me to be working in, the, so the Sloan Foundation funds science and technology um, research and um, 
it was a chance for me to be in a space that was scholarly, but not a university mm -hmm. and also not humanities centric. Um, and it was really interesting to feel what it was like to be in a professional space where my academic work was valued for the fact of what it was um, mm -hmm. without necessarily sharing an area of expertise with anybody who was on staff. Um, they were at the time developing a new program in scholarly communication and the ways that scholarly communication was changing um, in libraries and in the sciences. Um, and I had an opportunity to work with the new program director in that area to uh, do some landscape research and figure out who the main thinkers were in this field, um, think about you know what how the terrain was changing and what that might mean for graduate education. Um, and again, this for me was a chance to think at a different level of the infrastructure of higher ed than I had ever had a chance to do as a student. And I mm -hmm. really, really liked it. Um, I had enjoyed doing my PhD. Uh, my work was focused on 20th and 21st century, mostly French literature. Mm -hmm. um, but this for me was just a way of zooming out a little bit more and seeing a sense of how things fit together, what the purpose was, how people were able to do the work that they did. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really the position that I think started to shift things for me. After that, I worked at um, the University of Virginia in a postdoctoral fellowship in the Scholars Lab. Um, okay. And there I was starting to do research on the um, kinds of preparation that humanities PhDs had for various careers outside mm -hmm. the classroom, um, how prepared they felt or didn't feel for different aspects of their jobs. Um, I worked for a couple of years at the Modern Language Association and got a sense there of kind of the broader membership of the field and um, kind of where the balance was as far as the leading edge and the baseline of how things were changing in terms of labor practices, scholarly communication, graduate training, all of this. Um, and from there, I um, I was able to start working at the Graduate Center, and I've been here for six years now. Mm -hmm. um, I started in 2014 when, when this program, the Futures Initiative, was just being founded by Kathy Davidson. For me, it was really exciting to be a part of something that was just being developed. Um, it means that I've been involved in every strategic conversation from the beginning. Um, I've been involved in the hiring and recruitment practices for all of the staff and graduate fellows that we work with. Um, I've been involved in grant making, you know, some successful, some unsuccessful, mm -hmm. um, but things that have really affected uh, not only the nature of the program, but I think cultural change at the Graduate Center more broadly. Um, okay. So for me, this has been this has been a great fit. It's been a great place to be. And I love getting to work with students, even if it's in a way that's a little bit different than, than a teaching capacity might be. Mm -hmm. It's quite amazing to me. Uh, and all of this starts with you, uh, giving your name at a temp agency. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing that all of this then cascaded into where, where you are today. But still, what I think is, is kind of a definitive like uh, like specificity about this is that you went to for an agency that uh, was starting a specific type of uh, institution where you saw yourself that you saw that you wanted to work. Uh, just a quick question: How was it? You know those first interviews, or, or you know when you said, "Yeah, well, I have a PhD, but don't mind that. I really want to work in your organization." <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it. You know, I felt so unprepared for the world that I found myself in. I mean, not only in terms of the type of professional environment it was, but also just being in New York City was completely new to me. Um, I. I think what I found in my both in my personal experience and in working with other people is that I had this sense of simultaneously being um, like overqualified or able to do anything and also radically underqualified for anything. And I felt, um, you know, both like I would do a great job at this particular position, but also like, why would anybody ever hire me and give me a salary? And so I think I think a lot of people sometimes feel this push and pull between um, what they feel they can do and what they feel might be, um, you know, legible and appealing mm -hmm. in other contexts. But I think what I've settled into is this sense of like, a really translational approach to thinking about my work, and this is something that I encourage other grad students to think about as well, is, you know, the the burden, if it, burden's not quite the right word, but the, the burden of understanding how your PhD matters in a particular context, it's not on the listener, it's not on the person who's hiring, it's on you as the individual to say, listen, this is this is why this is a really unique thing, and this is why it's going to make a difference in this particular context. Mm -hmm. um, I've been amazed to see um, I, I found this to be true in, in my research, and it was a finding that I found very surprising, which was that um, many people who were working outside of faculty positions didn't think of their research skills as something that particularly set them apart. Mm -hmm. um, but every single employer that I interviewed said that if they hired a PhD, it was largely because of those research skills. And so I think for <laughs> me, this was a kind of a communication breakdown where because in graduate school, the baseline of research skill is so high that it's easy to forget that that's something that really sets you apart. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, it was it. There was definitely there were definitely some moments of uncertainty and trying to figure out 
how my literary studies might apply in, in a, you know, a context that was very different. Um, but I think that breaking it down into what some of those translatable skills might be, what some of those approaches or research lenses are that you use in your field, um, and how those might be of interest in a different context. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a very important exercise to do. In, I totally agree with you, this kind of introspection and this kind of stepping out of yourself, let's say, and looking, trying to look at what you do with kind of fresh eyes and, and being able to identify, okay, no, this is actually, I do this every day, so I don't notice it, but it's actually a thing that, that can be valued by someone who wants to employ me or who wants to collaborate with me. No, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but uh, Katina, today we're going to talk about something else, although, uh, you know, all this, this uh, what you said, this all, all this evolution of how you went from one position to another is something that interests me a lot uh, in terms of Papa PhD and, and what the mission of the podcast is. Uh, and, you know, maybe we can have another conversation talking more in, more deeply about that, uh, because I think you have great experience and you have thought, these, thought about these things a lot. Um, but today we uh, agreed to talk about something else. So we are still, uh, as, a, as a race, a human race, fighting COVID. Um, you know, there's some sort of confinement everywhere, limitations to things you can do, uh, limitations to kids being able to go to school normally, etc. And uh, there's also impact uh, from COVID on how people are... are are having it trying to get jobs at this time people uh, you know researchers uh, being in universities or uh, outside of academia uh, and what we are going to talk about today is something that i well i you know i have children i have felt it to a certain extent but i'm i'm no longer in research you uh, have people you work with researchers uh, you know postdocs uh, graduate students who have uh, become parents recently and who are now dealing with this reality of being in academia trying to you know start their life as a, as a young researcher but also building a family and and you know uh, raising children now with the extra weight on their shoulders of this covid pandemic so uh you yourself have young children mm -hmm. and uh today uh we're going to talk about the experience you 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 have yourself but also about the experience you have helping uh, these, these people these, these young researchers and uh, well and, and even just talking with them about how they're dealing with things mm -hmm. um so first the first question would be uh maybe uh asking you how how are, how are things on their side how do you feel they're coping how do you feel that they're dealing with it and mm -hmm. what are the main challenges that, that you feel that they are dealing with today and maybe struggling uh, at this moment sure um yeah this has been such a hard time just on so many fronts and um, i'm based in brooklyn uh, we saw you know an intense wave of of covid in march um it was a very unsettling time people didn't know what was happening and things changed very rapidly from day mm -hmm. to day um within that you know there are all of these intersecting um, types of precarity that so many of the graduate students that I work with found themselves in simultaneously. Um, many CUNY students are not only the graduate students, but many CUNY students who are undergrads as well are caregivers, either for children or for elder family members. Mm -hmm. uh, many are living in an intergenerational homes. Um, CUNY has a large, large proportion of students who are from low-income families um, who may be uh, immigrants themselves or children of immigrants, maybe living in under-resourced neighborhoods. And all of these things came together at the same moment in COVID. So you have people who are losing jobs, losing livelihoods, um, living with elderly parents who are at higher risk while also maybe taking care of a younger child. Um, it just, it was it was everything at the same time. Um, and uh, what I've seen, so I work with a small group of graduate students as, um, as fellows in our program. They're uh, kind of like interns almost in an academic administrative position. And we work with them, I work with them very closely. We work together uh, very closely. Um, and we're a very tightly knit group. So it's a group where the graduate fellows talk with one another, not only about things that are going on in the program, but also things that they're going through within their, their areas of study. They're all from different fields mm -hmm. and also things that are going on in their lives. Um, and we have uh, two of our graduate fellows who did recently become parents. Uh, my kids are six and three. And so that has coincided with my time uh, at the Graduate Center as well. So the students that mm -hmm. I work with have seen me go through different stages of early parenthood and pregnancy too. Um, and I think that for them, that has made me a relatively safe person to talk to about um, what it's like mm -hmm. to be navigating those professional and academic spaces. Um, what I have seen is that, I mean, the, the students that I work with are doing 
incredibly well, all things considered. I've been really astonished by how much they support one another and by how much they're able to really be present and be there, not only for their families and for their kids, but for their students and for each other. Um, many of them are also teaching. And one of the other things that really struck me as COVID was starting to kind of bear down on the city was that, especially for graduate students, um, grad students are always in this dual position as both learners, they're, you know, they're still um, emerging in their own professional identity and academic identity. But especially at CUNY, they're also teachers, they're instructors of record, um, they're adjuncts around the city, either as part of their fellowship or just as, um, as a regular adjunct instructor. And so they were, both those who were parents and, and really all of our graduate students, found themselves in this position where they were in a great deal of precarity themselves, but also responsible for, in various ways, students who did not know what to do. And I think that the the emotional burden of that has been very significant for people. Mm -hmm. I think people are finding a little more of a rhythm now, but in those first weeks and months, it was intense. There was so much care work happening on all sides with grad students trying to you know, provide resources for their undergraduate students mm -hmm. to know where to get tested, where to find healthcare, what to do if they had lost their jobs, what to do about you know immigration and international student status, all of this happening yep. at the same time, while also trying to navigate their own realities. And I think that um, just trying to balance all that is, it is not easy. Um, mm. And so I've, I've been amazed at what everyone has been able to do, um, but it, this is not optimal, you know? It's, mm. um, research I think really ends up taking a backseat in moments like this. It's hard to prioritize it. Um, it's hard for people to get to campus to get the resources yeah. that they need. Um, and for me as an employee, I've been relieved to not be going to the office, but for, mm. for them as students, they need a library, you know? They need yeah. access to the equipment that they use. They need a quiet study space. Um, and it's hard to know when that's gonna return for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm, it's really interesting and, and encouraging to hear uh, what you say in terms of how tight-knit this group of students are, of graduate students, and how much they care for their own <laughs> undergrads. And uh, mm -hmm. I think this is something, if we can take something positive of this whole situation with COVID, is people have come together in a very impressive way in, the, in their mm -hmm. communities. Um, now, going back to, to uh, your graduate students, um, I don't know how far along they are. You, you had mentioned uh, in conversation before uh, that you have a postdoc, at least, in the group. Uh, but what's the situation in terms of uh, employment or of thinking about what's their next step in, in their career. How is COVID affecting that? And well, in particular, those who have small children, you know, how are they, how are they, are they dealing with the current situation? Are they just living day to day? Are they able to try and plan and project themselves a little bit into the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there's some of everything you know, across that spectrum. Um, a lot of our grad students right now are pretty advanced in their studies. We have a number okay. of people who are either on the job market now or will be looking soon. Um, and it is a really hard time to be in that position. I mean, what we've been seeing even at CUNY is that, you know, we're three months into our fiscal year and we don't have a budget yet. And wow. um, that's not uncommon, at least in universities in, in the US right now, that there's just so much uncertainty that hiring has been, you know, frozen, some lines have been canceled. There's just, there's, um, you know, the academic job market at least was already really difficult. And now there's just so much more volatility thrown into that. So um, I, it has not been an easy time for the people who are thinking about their futures. Um, what I've been encouraging people to do is to really be clear with themselves right now about what their material needs are, in addition mm -hmm. to thinking about what their, you know, ideal future pathways are. When I think about my own pathway, everything makes sense when I look at it retrospectively, but it did not necessarily feel coherent as I was moving through it. And it's only been, you know, several positions in that things started to feel like they were coalescing around something that, um, that I could really dig my teeth into. And mm -hmm. a lot of those decisions meant you know, making the best decision that I could within a given set of constraints at a given moment. And mm -hmm. um, I think being really honest with yourself about, do I need, do I need health insurance? You know, especially in the US, like right now, <laughs> um, sure. making sure that you are looking at employment opportunities that will provide you and your family with the benefits that you need is really important. Mm -hmm. We don't have a ton of freedom of movement right now. Do you, does that mean you need to be living near other family members so that you have support? Um, I think that a lot of times there is a tendency, especially in academic job searches to try to separate the personal and the professional. And um, I really advise students not to try and do that because that those personal elements are what you're living through day to day. 
Um, so one of the things that I've been trying to do to, to help the students that I'm working with, we just did this uh, yesterday actually, is having a session of really nuts and bolts workshops about things related to academic administration that they may not have been exposed to as graduate students. I certainly wasn't exposed to a lot of this as a grad mm -hmm. student. Um, yesterday, we worked on budgets and looking at what an institutional budget looks like, what a program budget mm -hmm. looks like, what an individual grant budget looks like, and how that's different than something like a personal expenditure budget for a home or, uh, or an individual. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that even just pulling back the curtain a little bit on some of those really nitty gritty components of the kinds of things that make up a university. Um, I think it helps to demystify some of the tacit knowledge around mm -hmm. how universities work. It helps students to feel more like, you know, there's a logic behind decisions that are being made that, you know, it's like a code that can be cracked. It's not, <laughs> it's not a completely mysterious um, process, although sometimes it feels that way. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been trying to focus on really concrete things. We've been trying to um, have opportunities for accountability and support where students can work together to share job materials and things like that. Um, okay. And then uh, my, my work is really focused on careers outside the classroom. And so we've talked as a group a lot about what that can look like and the kinds of um, the kinds of opportunities that are available and just the kinds of thinking that happen in spaces that might be outside of what they've been accustomed to thinking about. So Katina is making a very important point here. Ignoring personal aspects of your life, such as your values, your non-academic interests, or any difficulties or struggles you might be going through when making work-related decisions, may lead you into draining and even dangerous situations in terms of life balance and mental health. So be sure to see yourself as a multifaceted human being living within a social ecosystem when making these decisions, and you will be increasing your chances of being happy with your choices in the long run. We then went on to talking about what it means to get a PhD today, and about how universities can help graduate students have a broader view of what their degree can offer them in terms of professional outcomes. But before going back to the interview, I just want to let you know of a promotion offer that I received for all of the Papa PhD listeners. If you need graphics or animations for your research, or if you're creating scientific content of any kind, Scientist Studio reached out to me to offer 10% off of any of their services, from whiteboard animations and script writing, to social media management, and conference launch packages. To get the 10% off, all you need to do is go to scientist.studio with two T's, the link is in the show notes, and use the promo code PAPAPHD in one word at checkout. And now, back to our interview. That's really, really important, and uh, it's it's very... I think universities, I've, even here in Montreal, I see universities uh, really starting to invest seriously in those types of services for graduate students. I think they're today they're even more pertinent than that they might have been before the pandemic was here. Um, and it is it is kind of a moment to regroup, uh, maybe learn some new skills, like you were mentioning, and and like pulling out, like you know, opening the curtains on, on some of those inner workings of of the of university, like you were mentioning. It's a it's a great opportunity to go and and uh, and learn something new that might be that will be useful uh, in the future. Um, so so uh, kudos for, for that because I think uh, we're in the twenty first century, and the PhD um, is something that's been you know that's existed for the longest time. But I do think that uh, there needs to be some active effort put into uh, um, it's funny I just had a conversation uh, with someone else and it, it, we said rebranding the PhD and the idea that I that I where I'm going is I think society will will uh, gain by seeing PhDs differently than they've had in the last I don't know 100 years uh, and PhDs themselves or, or candidates also to see the PhD as something different and not only leading to ten, you know tenure track professorship uh, but being uh, a, a place where you you uh, hone your skills of uh, your analytical skills your you know project management skills uh, all these things that you and I know that you take out of a PhD but people out there don't and many employers uh, don't still know although things are you know I, I see things changing slowly but it's it's really cool that that uh, that you're helping your, your students like that you know I, I really agree with you and here's the thing is that I, I think that it's good for the research too and I'm, I'm coming from a humanities perspective but I um a question that I often get is why, what is the value of a humanities PhD and why pursue a humanities <laughs> study? And I feel like that question has become so urgent, especially right now in COVID, you know, where I, I mentioned this about New York, but we see these different layers of social, historical, cultural contexts overlapping with one another. And this is not only a question of epidemiology. It's not only about how the virus spreads. It's about healthcare inequalities and educational inequalities mm -hmm. and housing inequalities. And those are all humanities questions. And yeah. so I think that, you know, to, to move towards more of a porous boundary between the academy and 
public various publics, public spaces. Um, I think it's good. It's good for society. It's good for individuals who might be looking for um, for career pathways. But it's also really good for the kinds of creative and forward-thinking research that we need right now. Definitely, definitely, and it, it is a, a moment for for innovation in the way we think problems because this is a, a problem that not even our parents had had to deal with in their in their mm -hmm. life, right? And uh, but and I think again, I, I see things happening, and um, I, although it's a really difficult problem, and <laughs> governments are you know having trouble dealing with it in the you know in the best way possible, although they're they're trying, and uh, yeah, people who uh, who have this. Uh, capacity of taking you know getting with other scientists and thinking together about a very difficult problem is key today i, I do agree mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but katina now i i wanted to go back to to something uh, we were mentioning before uh you know you said that uh, the group of students you work with communicate with, uh, with each other a lot and kind of support support each other and uh, again thinking of uh, going back to the question of being a parent and a graduate mm -hmm. student or a parent and a researcher uh and the, where, where i want to go is and it has to do with covid also we've been to some extent like i said confined since spring and it, it, has, it has changed, things have evolved, but this may not, you know, this may be difficult for a lot of people, mm -hmm. maybe even more difficult with people with small children. And I would like to know, in your experience, how has that been? And, and you know, I'm thinking yeah, in terms of, of mental health, let's say, what mm -hmm. if people, you know, a listener, a listener out there who has their, they, he, she, they have their first child, young child mm -hmm. at home, maybe not able to, to get them to daycare at this time. What can, you know, what, what can people... Uh, experience, you know, in your experience, what, what can people go through at these times and how can people mm -hmm. maybe deal and, and help themselves or get help dealing mm -hmm. with some of the issues that, that can come from, you know, being a young parent at this very, very stressful time? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I think that especially for people who have, you know, new babies right now, this is a this is a really tough time. Um, something that I had um, shared with you during our email conversations leading up to this was that I experienced postpartum depression after the birth of my second mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. um, and hadn't been expecting it because I hadn't experienced it after my first child was born. Um, and it was really, really isolating and really difficult. And I think mm -hmm. that for, you know, that's, that's always a possibility. Um, there's so many hormonal changes for people with new, mm -hmm. with new infants that um, this is something that can absolutely happen. And then I think you add in the isolation of COVID and suddenly it's not only a life transition, but it's hard to tease out what is different because of the pandemic. What is different because I'm now a parent, mm -hmm. what is different because I'm utterly sleep deprived um, <laughs> and how all those pieces, you know, fit together. Um, I think, you know, I think that it's really important to talk about those kinds of things. I think, um, you know, there's there are many different resources that are available for people um, in terms of um, therapy, first of all. I mean, I think checking into your institution and seeing if there is counseling um, mm -hmm. available for students at low cost or for free is a really good starting point. Um, talking with others who may have had similar experiences, um, finding some type of support for yourself that, that may be, um, you know, maybe not among other students, but maybe among other, other new parents. Um, just finding some way to kind of normalize and share the things that you're going through. Um, I think that right now it's especially difficult because there's all of the tools that we might look to in normal times, you know, things that we could do with the kids outside or things that, mm -hmm. you know, ways that we could um, hire caregiving support. It's all just so much harder right now and it can feel like too much. Um, so I just would really, it took me a lot longer than, um, uh, than I wish it had to reach out for some help. And I mm -hmm. just, I really encourage people to, to do that. Um, and yeah, are there are there online like what what sort of help did you find are, are there online resources that, that people can can use is, mm -hmm. and you know your experience is at CUNY uh, mm -hmm. what what's available for for young parents out there at this time who might be going through these types of struggles yeah um, I, I wish I had concrete things that, that I knew were available nationwide to folks but um, I will say you know in New York there is um, a chat hotline called NYC Well that anybody can okay. use for any mental health purpose um, I would imagine that there are similar nationwide hotlines um, mm -hmm. if, if you take a look for them um, I have made use of this um, in you know in a number of contexts whether concerned for myself or 
concern for somebody else and mm -hmm. they have been they're anonymous they're easy okay. to use um, they're low stakes and if um, if you need some help it's a great way to start they can also point you to other resources mm -hmm. um, at CUNY we have a wellness center that is available um, not for um, faculty and staff but for students and they offer a number of free um, therapy sessions um, and then after that there's a there's either a, a charge board or they can um, provide resources for other references, people that you can work with. Um, and in New York, and I would imagine in other cities as well, there are lots of local like parenting groups um, and parenting wellness groups where you can get um, support around feeding, support around sleep, um, sometimes just a place to, you know, to, to let the mask drop with other new parents can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, it can be really hard to search for those things when you're feeling low. Um, and uh, so it might be the kind of thing too, where you ask your partner if they can look for something for you or ask a, a friend who you trust to do some of the research, because I know that that, that first step can really be a difficult hurdle to cross. For sure, if you, you're you're feeling overwhelmed already and and uh, down, it can be difficult just to pick up the phone and and, and do this small thing. Uh, listeners, uh, for listeners who are now listening to to the show, if you know someone going through something like this, maybe a great way to help would be to look around for that person and and maybe reach out and just send her an email with or or even make a call, uh, offer to make a call for that person and try to to get her to get her or him or or them this this help at this time, which you know in which they might feel really really fragile, really really vulnerable and, and helpless. Uh, so yeah. Um, Katina, it, it does seem that the group of researchers you, you work with do have this kind of social support group of each other, because mm -hmm. you mentioned that they do support each other. Uh, that's also maybe a way to go to. And again, it's hard if you are now depressed and, and feeling uh, really in, in the dumps uh, to go uh, to go out and reach out to your peers. But a group mm -hmm. of peers uh, and, you know, some regular Zoom calls or could be a way to help deal with this, uh, uh, at, at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, how... How would you say? How important would you say this this group dynamic is for for your for the students you work with? Oh, I think this group dynamic is it's the thing that makes our program what it is. I think it's mm -hmm. essential. Um, it's been challenging in COVID actually because we really value being together. We value um, cooking for one another, making tea together. I mean, this is just there are things that mm -hmm. our group tends to do together yeah. that um, that foster that kind of connection, and it's harder to do that when we can't um, when we can't actually gather. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that 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 kind of connection builds slowly over time. It's been through a thousand small interactions where people show care. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that one of the one of the things that's been important about our group as well is that um, it's an interdisciplinary group. And I think that that's important because it it creates a sort of non-competitive atmosphere. Um, mm -hmm. I think that sometimes if you're, you know, connecting exclusively with people who are in your department, um, it can feel like you are um, competing for the same resources, whether those resources are, you know, fellowship funds or um, a faculty member's time or mm -hmm. awards within the program. Um, and it has been really helpful to to have our students connect with one another in kind of a non-evaluative, non-competitive mm -hmm. way. And I recognize that that is hard to replicate. Um, I've been thinking a lot about whether there are ways to create similar types of atmospheres within academic departments. And I think that there are a lot of structural um, barriers to doing that. Not that it's mm -hmm. impossible, but I think it's harder. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I think it's something because some of the guests I've had have talked about how important this sports group they're in has been mm -hmm. in their whole uh, graduate school experience, and I think it's really good that that uh, this this the model that you're talking about is actually fostered by your by your offices by by your department. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to touch on something else to do with potentially you know being uh, depressed right now or, or or very anxious or very you know, fearful at this time, uh, and especially if you have uh, young kids uh, right now, and it has to do with people who might be very far away from family. I don't know mm -hmm. whether the people you work with are or not, but my question, and and I, 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 we haven't talked about this, but my question is, uh, if someone feels okay, I have to make a choice. Would it, is it okay? Would you consider it okay to to say, look, I'm going to take a break of, on on my PhD and go stay close to family, 
mm-hmm. for a while and then come back when things are better. Is this something you you think would be healthy for for some people, especially if they're far away from from their like family social network? Oh, of course. I, if that is feeling like a decision that somebody wants to make, I absolutely think that that's a valid decision. Um, I'm far from my family, my partner, we're far from my partner's family as well. Um, and we're both, you know, further along, both in terms of the age of our kids and in terms of mm-hmm. our careers to where we we have a network of kind of chosen family here that, that we can rely on a bit. Mm-hmm. But it is such a hard time. And it is a moment where I think priorities have, um, um, have really come into focus. And I think that it, you know, there are a lot of things about the ways in which we work where, um, some of that work feels more valuable than ever before. Mm-hmm. Some of it does not. And um, some of it may, you know, may come back to the surface as something we really want to dig into at a future time. But there are moments where it is, it feels necessary and urgent to just be with family, to focus on um, those more immediate questions of how we live and support one another. Um, and I think that, you know, the pandemic has made it really clear that those those ties are precious and they're fragile. And um, I I absolutely consider any decision along those lines to be perfectly valid. Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mental health comes first, right? And uh, and if there's a child, the child's health also comes first. And mm-hmm. if you're a happy or a healthy mom or dad, well, <laughs> the child is going to also be healthier and, and happier. In consequence, at least that's my my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Katina, we, we've covered a lot of subjects. We're reaching the end of, of the interview, but I will mention that um, to the listener out there, Katina has a bunch of really great videos on YouTube, and I will share links to those in the show notes. But I kind of I, again, I think we need to have another conversation probably for another episode. But for today, what I would want to ask to you is, you know, thinking if, if you picture in your mind a listener out there that might be in the situation of feeling alone, isolated, uh, insecure about what the future holds for her or for him, uh, based on, on your experience and maybe based on those things, because I've, I've listened to these videos and they're filled with like pearls of, of wisdom, uh, you know, based on Katina's experience. What's one or two words of encouragement and maybe one or two pieces of advice would you have for them at this time to you know, to, yeah, to, to give it to tell them there's a light at the end of the tunnel and uh, and also to say, well, to tell them, look, you can do some stuff right now that's pretty important. You know, even though you can't go to lab, etc. there's some things that are really cool for you to do right now and that you'll, whenever this subsides, you'll be happy that, that you will have done them. I don't know if I was clear or not, but mm-hmm. yeah, just a couple of words to to encourage and and, and uh, yeah, and share some, some positive uh, message with the, the listeners. Sure. And I, I don't want to diminish anybody's experience because it is just legitimately a really hard time right now. Um, but with that in mind, I think, I guess there are a couple of things that I would say. One is that um, moments where there is a great amount of transition and upheaval can also be moments of opportunity. Um, I'm seeing this right now on, on a structural level in universities. Things have changed very, very quickly, and things that you know places said could never change uh, mm-hmm. suddenly changed overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that creates some opportunities to do things differently when we do begin to regroup from this. Um, and I think the same can be true in a personal way as well, that sometimes when things are very disrupted, um, it it creates a chance for things to sort of sift down differently into a mm-hmm. different order, a different pattern than they, than they were in before. Um, I think paying attention to those patterns is really important, paying attention to the things that bring you joy, um, especially in dark moments like this. Um, you know, what is it that feels like it's life-giving? Um, and maybe, you know, are there ways that you can lean into that, both mm-hmm. in your personal life and in your professional life? Um, I would also say that um, careers are long. And one of the things that has been very freeing for me is seeing the ways in which something that might have seemed inconsequential at a given time becomes meaningful later. And so mm-hmm. I think doing the things that feel meaningful to you, that meet your needs at this moment, whether material or intellectual or social, it will have a return in some way or another, but it may not be a direct link that you can see at this moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, continuing to meet people in the ways that you can. Um, it doesn't mean, networking doesn't necessarily mean, you know, expecting some type of transactional benefit at that moment, but it might mean sparking a new idea that you follow up later um, and that, you know, flourishes into something else. Um, it might mean creating some new possible connections for collaborators down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just trusting yourself um, and trusting that when something feels like it's moving you in the right direction um, to, to go with that to the degree that you can. Um, 
this is a moment where things are very strange. And I think um, the, the wisdom that each person has about their own needs and their own goals and desires are just as valid as what can be read in any book um, because nobody knows what's happening right now. It's, it's really <laughs> unprecedented, at yeah, least in yeah. my lifetime. So, um, so trust yourself and do the things that feel like they give you life um, and, uh, you know, find, find support where you can. Those would be my, my words of encouragement right now. Well, Katina, thank you so much. Uh, we've, covered, we've covered a lot of uh, very important stuff. Um, we didn't only talk about being a parent uh, at this time and being in academia. We also talked about really um, important uh, aspects and concepts around uh, what what it means to uh, to be a PhD in a in the current job market, what uh, effect COVID is having on everyone, and we're talking about us us, uh, but also employers and also universities. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I feel that uh, that I really um, enjoyed from this conversation was talking about this the sense of uh, creating some sort of community. It can be a community of two or, or, mm -hmm. or four or six, but uh, I think we're at a moment where it's really, really important to not not be alone. Mm -hmm. And um, like like you were saying, um, and, and well, like you were saying, not only like you were saying, but what you described that happens in with with at your in your offices and with the group that you're working, I think it's really an important uh, and a really inspiring um, model maybe to follow. Mm -hmm. If you don't have any structured uh, resources right now that you can access, well, you may you may be able to, to your peers, to your friends, to find some part of the support you need at this time and for mm -hmm. sure it'll help you push through and uh, and and stay afloat in these very insecure uh, moments and and uh, yeah times that we're living through so mm -hmm. thank you so much mm -hmm. thank you this has been a great conversation before ending the episode let me introduce you to two podcasts that you might also enjoy plants and pipettes a podcast about plants and about the research around them and the lonely pipette hmm, sounds like we have a team going this week a brand new podcast aiming to help scientists do better science and roll the tape do you like plants Like, really, really like them? Do you wish you could get a glimpse at how they work on the inside, how they grow, flower, avoid problems like drought and heat, and how they defend themselves against attacks? Well, we do too. That's why we at Plants and Pipettes explore the fascinating inner workings of plant molecular biology in our podcast and on our blog. Did you know that bumblebees can control the flowering time of plants by gently biting on them? Or that soap bubbles are great for plant pollination? We are Tegan and Yoram, two plant scientists who escape the lab to bring you the hot new research without all the scientific jargon. Plus, we talk about topics of diversity and equality in the academic system. And bring fun science facts from the last week. Oh, and we talk about cats. And sometimes also we rant. You can read our stuff on plantsandpipettes.com or search for Plants and Pipettes in your favorite podcast app. Plants and Pipettes, we, we talk, talk plant, plant science. science. Are you working in research, trying to do the best science you can? Are you a team leader, a research assistant, postdoc, PhD student, or any other type of scientist? Are you looking for a place where you can sit, relax, and listen to inspiring people? Well, we have good news for you. You've just found what you're looking for. Hi, everybody. My name is Renaud Bourg. And I am Jonathan Weitzman. Welcome, Welcome to, to The Lonely Pipette, helping scientists do better science. And that's it for this week. Thank you for being a true fan. I'll be expecting you next week with another great guest. So happy listening and happy sharing. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.